Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. This is your host, Mike Abadir, and I will be joined momentarily by my weekly co-host, Gino Bicola. Hope everybody's having a great sports week thus far. We're going to have an excellent show for you today, as always. We are going to be joined by two guests. One is Patrick Everson from Covers.com. He is presently in Vegas, but he travels all over the place basically covering the world of sports wagering. So he's going to talk to us a little bit about the most recent developments uh, in terms of state legislation, uh, where things are at in terms of sports wagering on a state-by-state basis. And we'll talk a little bit about the World Cup as well, see how things are going from a betting perspective. We'll also be joined by Nick Underhill from The Advocate New Orleans. We've been doing a weekly feature, or as weekly as we can, depending on schedule, where we profile an NFL team and its off-season thus far. A couple of weeks ago, we covered the Falcons, and you know, each week we're going to try to pick a different team, give, get everybody updated on the most recent happenings with each NFL ball club, and hopefully by the time we get to opening day, we will have featured every single team on the show. And we'll be bringing back all of these guests who are typically going to be beat writers, uh, people on the inside of, uh, you know, covering each of these NFL teams to be bringing us, you know, the straight from the source information because they travel with the teams and are with the teams on a daily basis, et cetera. So that's Nick Underhill from The Advocate New Orleans. So looking forward to that. That should probably be closer to 11.30 a.m., so in about 30 minutes. And momentarily here, we'll get things started with Patrick Everson. So I'm a little bit curious as as to what everybody is thinking about the World Cup so far. And, um, you know, has anybody gotten involved from a wagering perspective? Are people in office pools? Are friends getting together and watching? Obviously, with the United States not being in this year's World Cup, um, you know, I'm kind of curious as to what the um, what Americans in general are uh, taking, the, what approach they're taking when it comes to the World Cup this year and they're viewing and, and are you getting into it or not? Is there a team? that maybe you're kind of behind, maybe an underdog. Maybe you like England and you want to finally see them do well. But let's get things started from, um, from the wagering perspective and bring on our first guest. Uh, we actually have had him on before live when we did a road show in Las Vegas. And I'm talking about Patrick Everson from Covers.com. Patrick, good morning. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. I'm in the middle of the Cosmopolitan Sportsbook right now on the Strip. Uh, just uh, Argentina and uh, Croatia underway. Pretty good crowd in here for that. Pretty excited. So uh, right in the middle of things. Just finished up a video shoot. So, Good stuff. We'll appreciate you spending a few minutes with us. Uh, Gino is going to be joining us momentarily here. I saw that you had a post a little bit earlier talking about some of the action on the World Cup. You said that there was a lot of uh, line movement or a big line movement in terms of Peru. That didn't quite work out. Is that no, typically... No, no, well, no. let me ask you this. From... The, from in the World Cup so far, have the line movements meant anything? Or I guess I don't know if it's really called line movement in, in, in soccer, is it? Uh, but 
does, does where the money is allocated, have you seen any trends? Does it mean much in, in World Cup soccer thus far? Well, I just think, I, I think what makes it, it's a little more difficult because you're, you're talking generally about the three-way line here because you've got the win, the lose, and the draw. There's always that possibility uh, for the tie. Certainly in the case of Peru this morning, this was interesting. This is more an offshore move because it didn't, uh, the, 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 there was a little bit of movement here in Vegas, uh, specifically with CG technology books, one of which, as I said, I'm in right now at the Cosmopolitan. I've been talking to them every day. There was a little bit of movement, uh, you know, off of, um, uh, off of France there. But, uh, it was Peru. I'm having a break. Yeah, Peru, France. Just making sure I got the right game here. But, yep, um, you, you got it. Off, offshore Peru was a uh, was a was a much larger long shot uh, with the people I spoke with at uh, uh, excuse me at uh, at Bet DSI and th- they moved them down. I mean, literally, it was like you know somewhere in the plus seven hundred, plus seven fifty range. Got all the way under plus five hundred. So on sharp money. So I think you know the sharp players thought that maybe uh, France was a little sluggish in that first outing. Uh, Peru probably. Uh, I, I think the way they stated it, they felt like Peru outplayed. Uh, you know, that played better in the first game than the result they got, uh, which is a loss, obviously. So they thought Peru would come out better today, and maybe France uh, wasn't all that. But that didn't end up being the case, apparently. And, and maybe does some, sometimes does the money allocation maybe suggest somebody's hedging, maybe a parlay, maybe somebody's got a big, you know, um, you know, wager on France to win the whole thing. So maybe incrementally. They bet against on individual games. Uh, I don't know. I'm just trying to come up come up with, uh, they, with they, theories and explanations that. here. That sounds like a pretty substantial line movement, or maybe they just thought there was good value. I think they, I think there was. They thought early on there was good value because honestly, like I said here, uh, I, I think what happened is Bet DSI was probably up pretty early with that number. Uh, you know, being in the plus 700, plus 750 range, and some sharp betters thought there was some value in that number and hit it pretty good to bring it down because it wasn't near that. It wasn't quite that high here in Vegas, certainly not at CG books. So I also talked with about today's three games. Uh, it wasn't the, the, you know, Peru wasn't quite as long a favorite. I think they were, they were really, really in like the plus 500 plus 550 range. So uh, opening and closing. So it was pretty high. And I think the betters just saw the value there and, and jumped on it. I don't think it was a situation. It was definitely sharp play. They said it was definitely sharp play offshore. I don't think it was a situation where somebody saw the huge plus money and thought, all right, plus money, you know, the way the public tends to do. They see the big plus money, and they're like, ah, oh, what the hell, take a flyer on the plus money. Um, this was a situation where they just felt the, the, the price was off, and based on where it landed in Vegas and where they ended up offshore, uh, I think that was, you know, the accurate move. That's what, they had, that's what they had to do, and that was definitely sharp play. I'm going to ask you about, uh, you know, on, on a statewide or, you know, nationwide basis what's going on. But before we do, from your observations, would you say that most of the World Cup betters are more along the lines of casual fans that happen to be in Las Vegas? You know, hey, I'm rooting for Argentina because my family is from there or, or that type of thing. Are they more serious player, uh, players? Is it more kind of a combination? I think you've got a good mix of both here. You get such a, uh, first off, the, the population of Las Vegas itself is, is, pretty, is pretty mixed, pretty eclectic. A lot of people from a lot of different places, a lot of different parts of the country, and since they don't have the United States to work for, perhaps they're looking at their team from country of origin, you know, what, what, their, what their nationality is. I mean, if Ireland was playing, I'd be rooting for Ireland right now, but, uh, but they didn't make it either. So <laughs> that is, that is uh, an important distinction. And then there's all, obviously a lot of people live here from all over the world, and people visit here from all over the world. So 
for example, I was in uh, in the win on Monday morning uh, for the England game, and there were a ton of Brits in the uh, there, there were a ton of British fans and and people who definitely had strong British accents. So I assume they were visiting from England, having a holiday over here, and and going to one of the great sports books in this city to take in that game and. And uh, I'm feeling very fortuitous at the end to get that late goal and get the result, get the win. But, uh, yeah, I think it's a good mix of people. It's probably most, I mean, in almost all cases, public money is going to overshadow uh, sharp money in most cases. But uh, so you're going to have a fair amount of public betters. But I, there's definitely some sharp play on, uh, uh, you know, some smart guys betting the World Cup as well. There's a lot of opportunity. That makes sense. Now, Gina Bacola has joined, uh, joined us. And so uh, Gino is also a big soccer fan, as, as I am. And uh, Gino and I, last week, we touched upon the World Cup a little bit. We, we tried to allocate more time to be able to talk about it, but we made some picks and selections Wait, so you're far. you're going to call it touched Gino upon the World Cup? That's what you're going to call it? Last talk, because I'm still slumping. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know Gino, if you recall what we did last week, touching upon the World Cup, Mike. We, oh, yeah. we were pretty bad. Let's be, let's be honest. I don't know if any of the teams that we gave in their first uh, – in their first games, their first matches, won. I think every and we were talking about the a lot of the chalks too, who we thought were going to make it. Right now, it's do or die time for Argentina. Um, the pressure is really on Messi. We've seen the first time through some of the big boys really choke. Uh, to be honest, with the pressure on now, so these these second matchups and their second games through are going to be really really crucial. Uh, overall, uh, Patrick, who who have you just when, when you've watched these games? Who have you been the most impressed with? Because for me, I'm kind of scratching my head. I haven't really seen anyone that's jumped out that said, okay, wow, that, that's a team that I'm really, really scared about and that I'm for sure is going to make it to the Final Four. Yeah. Oh, boy. Argentina almost uh, found the net there. Uh, watch. I'm in, I'm, by, by, I'm, in the, I'm in the Cosmo Sportsbook, as I mentioned at the top, so I'm watching the game <laughs> as we're talking. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I agree with you on that point. I don't know that any team has... has, has, has really strongly stood out. I think, uh, I think today Croatia has a tremendous opportunity uh, to maybe be one of those teams. I thought, I mean, I'll tell you what, the first five minutes of that England game, and I know they were you know, you know, heavily, you know, a healthy favorite and so forth, but boy, the first few minutes of that game, they dominated. And really, they dominated in a lot of aspects from start to finish. Yeah. So I, you know, maybe England is a little bit better this year than, than people think, and maybe they finally kind of get the monkey off their back and make a run. Uh, I'm not saying they would go all the way, but uh, uh, they might make – I think that's a team that might make things interesting based on some of what I saw on a, um, you know, out of that Monday game. I did not see uh, – you know, I had not seen them really play much before that at all, you know, in any, any of the warm-ups or tune-ups or anything. But, but, you know, England's got – I mean, they got the weight of the world on their shoulders every time they go out. Everybody over there thinks uh, that England should be hoisting another cup, and – and yet we're looking at what forty plus years, fifty plus years since that since that's happened. So uh, I like the way they look, uh, but but to your point, I don't think anybody's really jumped off the page and you said, "Wow, that's that's the team to contend with." I think everybody's still kind of getting their bearings. Let's shift gears for a quick second here, Patrick. I know you went to New Jersey on the very first day of wagering. What were your observations from day number one? Was there a lot of excitement? Were there big players? Uh, you know, did you kind of ask around to see if people are going to still use, you know, maybe their local, you know, bookies and things of that nature, or their offshore books? Are people more likely to switch over entirely, maybe half their bankroll here, half their bankroll there? What were some of the things that you heard and you observed 
uh, you know, in that early stage uh, on day number one. Right. It was phenomenal, to be quite honest. It was absolutely phenomenal there. Uh, the, the scene at the William Hill Sportsbook at Monmouth Park was incredible. They've got a really nice, I mean, along with the sportsbook, the technical sportsbook itself, where you're literally just betting, mostly just betting windows, about 15 of them. Um, and then adjacent to that, they've got the William Hill Racing Sports Bar, which has six betting kiosks in there, six, six windows, at, uh, you know, three on each side of the, of the book. That area, that racing sports bar, very much had a sportsbook feel to it, a Vegas sportsbook feel to it. It was phenomenal. The turnout was incredible. There were several hundred people, maybe even approaching a thousand, ready to bet at 1030 on Thursday morning when betting opened. So having seen, and then, and then they were hanging around all day at the racing sports bar and having a good time and hollering at the TV when they, when, you know, when a, when a call went against them or a, or a, or a play or getting all excited when, when something went in their favor on their bet. So having, and then the, and then the same situation at the Borgata in Atlantic City, at MGM property in Atlantic City, which also opened on, on, on Thursday. Those are the only two books in New Jersey right now. That's going to change in the very near future. But based on what I saw at both spots, everybody's excited. I think people will be going there. Uh, I think there will be a, a gear, you know, at least some gear shifting from how they may have, uh, previously bet, or if they weren't betters, that they're going to be, uh, you know, but they're big sports fans, that they're going to catch on pretty quickly, and they're going to be, they're, they're going to become really interested and excited. I think, uh, I, I think this is going to go exceedingly well for New Jersey. Uh, I, I'm really interested to see what NFL Week One is going to be like at both those spaces, and by that time, you're going to have several other places up and running, including the Meadowlands Racetrack with a sports book, which is right by MetLife Stadium. So that's going to be really intriguing. Yeah, that'll be fun to, to, to place a wager and then walk right into the, the stadium and, and watch your game. And hopefully if they're open late, you can walk out of the game and, and collect your money, right? Uh, I expect they'll be, I expect they'll be able ahead, to play late. They'll... Yeah, I'm sure. So looking ahead to, to football season and maybe a little bit beyond that, I'm going to ask you three related questions. Tackle them in any order you'd like. What sure. will, by that time, midway through the NFL season, maybe at the end of the NFL season, what will the impact be, positive or negative, on horse racing? What will the impact be on Las Vegas? And is Vegas planning, you know, the, the Vegas casinos, are they planning to be operators in this space at the state level? Are they going to make presentations about why they should, you should use their platforms in, you know, adopting state wagering, you know, or wagering, sports wagering at the state level. So impact on horse racing, impact on Vegas, and will Vegas get involved? Well, let's take the last one first. That's already happening because okay. the, the, the book at Monmouth is a William Hill sports book. The book at Borgata is an MGM sports book. So those are two major operators here in Nevada, obviously. Now, and then from there, on the 28th, there is a, there's an old resort that was called the Revel, uh, like uh, R-E-V is in Victor E-L, the Revel. It's, 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 been, it's being totally updated, totally overhauled, and it's going to reopen on the 28th as a property called o- the Ocean Resort Casino, Resort and Casino. And that's going to have another William Hill book in it that will open that very same day. And my understanding is that the book there is going to be a centerpiece. It's going to be the middle of the casino. It's not going to be tucked into a corner. So uh, William Hill's going all in on this, and so is the, that, that property itself. And then in addition, you've got, you've got, you've got Caesars, you've got Golden Nugget, you've got uh, other operators here in the space in Nevada who are definitely going to be operating in Atlantic City. 
So that answers that question. Impact on Las Vegas, I, don't, I, I, I think it's going to have some impact, but I don't think it's going to be terribly negative because in, in most instances, in most instances, these sports books are, uh, are not going to, in other states, New Jersey, maybe notwithstanding, a little, I, I, there are some things going on there that are going to be a little more sport, a little more of a Vegas feel to it. But in most instances, they're not going to be replicating, like, nobody's replicating the Las Vegas Super Bowl. Okay? Uh, nobody's replicating the Mirage at this point. Nobody's replicating the win at this point. Uh, or even you know, the Cosmo right now that I'm standing in the middle of. So those are still going to be destination places that I think people go to. Bucket list items for NFL Week 1, for Super Bowl, for March Madness those kinds of things. So I, I, I think there may be an, uh, an impact. I don't think it's going to be an overwhelmingly bad impact. And just based on the fact that a lot of Nevada people are excited about this, sportsbook operators, I don't think they're concerned about it either. Um, and then, uh, uh, and then uh, uh, so that takes me backwards to your first point, which you're going to have to reiterate with me because I just jabbered too much and I can't even remember what the first point was. No, no, it's all good. You've, you've, actually provided, you've actually provided some really good information there. Uh, I just learned a lot and I'm sure our listeners have as well. I was also wondering what the overall impact you think might be on horse racing, whether that be oh, do yeah. the horse racing dollars go up, do they go down, does this provide more money, purse money, uh, is, is this going to be great for, for horse racing or devastating for horse racing uh, a year from now? I don't think it'll be devastating because, honestly, horse racing has been in a bad spot for a while now, which is one of the reasons why these tracks wanted the opportunity to bring in uh, sportsbook operators uh, to, to, you know, to help bolster that. So, and, and, and the great part about this is we got an example right away because Monmouth Park uh, Racing is on Saturdays and Sundays right now. So betting opened last Thursday. Monmouth Park had a great weekend because you had World Cup, you had all the baseball, and uh, you had the U.S. Open, and you had Father's Day. So you had some, some key events that, that, that people are going to want to go out and watch the ponies potentially for and, and, and sports bet for. And I, I, this is a little anecdotal because I saw a couple of uh, – I, I saw a few tweets on it. I saw a few people talking about it. But it sounds to me like this weekend at Monmouth was tremendous, and Father's Day, especially Sunday, uh, that they had uh, really good action on the horse racing and really good action – on the sports bed. So I would, I, I don't think you can project out too far long-term. You don't want to, uh, you know, you don't want to take like one weekend and say, okay, this is going to be how it is. However, if I, I would say based on what happened this weekend, it is a good indicator of what will happen. And NFL week one might be really the big indicator because that is the last weekend of the bond with me. So they'll be horse racing that weekend and NFL that weekend. And obviously college football that weekend. Uh, I think that will be the really, the, really the harbinger of what may be to come, and I think it's going to be good. That's that's just my opinion. Patrick, that's question good for stuff. you. There you it's have a, it from uh, Patrick Everson. Oh, that, that, no, that was fantastic. I, I, I love kind of how you broke that down and, and gave us the reminder that that's going to be closing weekend at Monmouth, opening weekend in NFL, probably week two in college football. So uh, that should be a great indicator. I know you're super busy today, Patrick. Really, we really appreciate that you've uh, carved out a few minutes to join us. We'll follow up with you again as time has gone on and, and, and kind of get your take on things. But we thank you for uh, joining the show, and we look forward to speaking with you soon. That sounds great. appreciate you guys having me on. Best to you both. Patrick, before you run, why don't you give the listeners uh, where they can follow you and covers and, and get your work? Ah, absolutely. I am on Twitter, at covers 
underscore Vegas. And uh, you should also follow Covers' main Twitter feed, which is just simply at Covers. So at Covers and at Covers underscore Vegas, you can see all my work and all of uh, all the great people at Covers uh, who do a great job covering this, you know, this sports betting, the industry, the sports books, uh, all the fun stuff too. The people like the big crowd that we got hanging out in here in the Cosmo right now, watching Argentina and uh, and Croatia games. So uh, give us a look. We uh, we're, and I'm a pretty, I think I'm a pretty fun follow. So. Uh, uh, jump on board and uh, let's have some fun head into football season. I second that. I definitely encourage everybody to lot, follow Patrick and covers. Good stuff there. You bet. Thanks again, guys. Thank you very much, Patrick. I appreciate you joining us. There you have it. All the insight into what's going on live from the Cosmo in Las Vegas. We are going to take our first commercial break and be back with you shortly. And we'll shift into NFL talk with Nick Underhill from The Advocate in Orleans. Stay with us. We'll be back in two. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you ready for the latest sports news, the culture around the game, and unique insight? Then you need to make Kareem and the Coach your destination each week. Host Kareem Rush played for the LA Lakers and has the inside track to personas in both professional and college sports. Co-host Eric Newman is a former basketball coach and now a producer and filmmaker. Together they cover sports and entertainment in a fast-paced hour every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of two former players who also have coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver and Sam Sword. We'll talk about the drafts, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl and Sam have the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. We'll cover the camps, on and off field, and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back, everyone. We just uh, wrapped up our conversation with... Patrick Everson from Covers.com. That was a really, really good conversation, Gino. Let's pick up on the World Cup a little bit more. You know, it's so rare that we get an opportunity to talk about soccer that I'm really relishing every single moment that we have here to talk about it. And I'm going to probably try to milk it as much as possible over the next couple of weeks here. If you had to re-pick, because I know that, uh, you know, the first week has been really, really tricky. Who have been some of your disappointments? Who have been the teams that have impressed you? And if you had to kind of, you know, remix, repick some selections, would you change your, your picks or, or would you yeah. stick with them? I wouldn't. It's, the thing that's hard is that we, and what's so difficult and about the World Cup is, you know, one bad game could be it for you. That, that's the thing that's frustrating. These teams are only guaranteed three, three games. So 
you know, one poor performance, one and a half poor performances, you could be done. Um, it's hard to make a tweak when it could be one bad game. It could be, um, you know, an instance where, like, you know, Spain has played pretty well. Some of the te- you know, they were unlucky to run into a, a Ronaldo. Um, you know, Argentina is a team that body language-wise they haven't looked very good. I mean, Germany, you'd have to be a little concerned with the way that they looked. Um, but that's, that's what's difficult is that w- the sample size, right? We haven't been able to watch these teams for like a couple weeks' worth of games. We get to watch them for a game, and then we got to make a decision, oh, you know, now are, are you going to make a change? I think it's too early to make that kind of a decision. But I, I will say I am a little – even as a big soccer fan, uh, big soccer fan, it is a little just this a week through. I enjoy watching the games and I enjoy getting up to watch some of them. But it is like for me, I'm obviously would have been rooting for the U.S. and um, my second team that I always root for is Italy. So it's a little deflating where there's just not a team that I really can sink my teeth into and really root for, you know. And I think I th- and I, I'm I'm hoping the numbers that we see as far as like the money being bet and stuff, that's still fine. Cause I think the big betters are going to show up whether the U S is in it or not. Uh, but I wonder now in the next like week or two, now that we've already had a week's worth of games and kind of the, the, the like the novelty factor of, Hey, world cup games, we can get up early and watch them. Is that going to wear off a little bit for the people that aren't soccer fans? You know, I'm a soccer fan. You're a soccer fan most people would tune in to watch the U.S., but now that you don't have that option, is there still going to be a lot of buzz? Because I'm honestly not hearing a lot of buzz about the World Cup right now, as we nor- obviously as we normally would if, if the U.S. was in it. Um, just kind of my, over, my overviewing thoughts. And if we don't get, like, the, the first, that, that awesome Spain-Portugal game was... Like the the really the only time that I've felt like wow this is the World Cup we're just not getting we haven't had any really incredible games back and forth we haven't seen too many awesome performances it is still a weekend but you know we haven't seen a game where like a Messi shows up or we didn't get to see like um, Salah with a multiple goal performance or anything like that we need to see some of these big uh, outside stars of Ronaldo shining. of course uh, outside of Ronaldo yeah, no yeah that that was the that first game the Ronaldo Spain game the. The Portugal-Spain game was awesome, but since then, we've been disappointed by almost every one of the big, you know, the big teams, the teams that are supposed to be in the the Final Four, the chalky teams. So some of them are going to need to step up, and the stars are going to really need to step up for this to be more of like the the biggest thing going on right now in sports. I've always felt that Messi is kind of uh, the the harden of, of, of soccer. You know, or the Chris Paul of soccer. The bigger the stage, the less he comes through. I've had that opinion about Messi for a long time. I stick with it. I uh, hope he proves me wrong because it'd be fun to see Argentina, you know, get on a hot streak and he's going to have to carry that team because I think overall their team is is not super strong. So kind of a one-man show. But on the flip side, we've seen that a one-man show in Portugal has worked. He scored all four goals for the team and uh, they're looking like a you know, uh, they're going to be a formidable opponent. In terms of, like, the intrigue in the next round, what I think is once you eliminate some of the garbage teams like, you know, Saudi Arabia and Panama and teams like that, then you should have some pretty good matchups moving forward, you know, after the group stage is over. So I think it's going to be kind of a case-by-case thing, right? So when people want to see Ronaldo, they want to tune in for Spain. 
obviously Mexico here in the United States is going to have a, a pretty big following. So that'll be interesting. Anytime Brazil is in a game, you know, I don't know so much, you know, Poland versus, you know, Belgium or, you know, Croatia versus Denmark things, you know, possible matchups in the next round. I don't know how much intrigue there'll be for that. So probably be a match by match kind of thing. And I feel you, by the way, on the uh, allegiances, Obviously, for me, my number one would be the U.S., and they're not in. My family background, my ancestry is from Egypt. Very, 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 very disappointing. Obviously, their superstar didn't play in game one. And in game two, his timing just wasn't there. So they pretty much, uh, you know, uh, came in with high hopes and are bounced out really, really quickly here. So I guess I just have to stick with my World Cup picks and, and hope for, for Germany against Spain in the finals and that, uh, that I win my, my $20 entry back from my pool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, and that, that's the thing too, it's like the first first time through, a lot of it is a feeling out process, so it's, it's just so difficult when you have such a small sample size, similar to, to the NFL season, you know, one game, such a reaction, every game, such an um, immediate overreaction, or, you know, or just a, was this a one game? And, and that was so difficult when you have this small sample size. So, well, it's we'll kind of funny because if there ever was a sport that needed like a, like a, a three-game or a five-game or a seven-game series, it's soccer. Kind of Wouldn't that be process, awesome? Yeah. You know what I mean? To have like, a, like the finals at least be, you know, first to three wins or something. I mean, that'd be pretty cool here. But you mentioned the NFL, and that's a perfect segue to our next guest who is uh, going to be covering the Saints Throughout the season, has been covering the Saints. We're talking about Nick Underhill from the Advocate New Orleans. Nick, good afternoon for you. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, you know, Gino and I have been, you know, one of those, you know, we're, we're the type of sports fans that we get into whichever sport is going on at that time. But NFL is a year-round thing. And so we're excited to have you with us today, Nick. Let's get right to it. Uh, before we actually talk about football at all, you know, I, I follow you on Twitter. Nick's a great follow, by the way. Definitely recommend uh, any Saints or any NFL fan follow Nick, and, and we'll give his uh, Twitter handle towards the end of the show. But I've seen some of your retweets, and it looks like uh, you know some of the Saints players are addressing some social issues. You know, is this a, a politically or socially charged locker room? And, you know, how much awareness do they have? Involvement do they have? Does the club like it? You know, does Coach Payton like it? Uh, does it cause any divide? Give us a feel for what some of your observations have been regarding that issue. Oh, man, we're going right, we're going right into it here. Right into it, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting you warmed uh, up for the NFL season. You know what I mean? This is a warm up for you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. I mean, I don't think that there's a divide. And they came together last year and kind of came up with a compromise, you know, kneel before the anthem, stand for it. Drew Brees is very pro-military. His family's as, as a – there's a lot of military background there. You know, he's on that side of it. But, you know, there's obviously other guys on, on the other side of the issue. And I don't think it, it, it's a problem. Sean Payton, you know – I don't think he has a problem with it either. He's been outspoken on, on gun control and some other issues multiple times. Uh, doesn't shy away from that stuff. And Demario Davis is also a guy that, that's very active in, you know, the equal rights and fighting for some of that stuff. And they signed him this offseason. They brought back Ben Watson. Those are kind of the two guys that have been the most vocal about it. And, 
you know, I'm pretty sure the Saints knew that those guys have different causes and, and that they were going to be active in them. And I don't think that, uh, you know, that there's any, there's any tension there. It is something to, to monitor, though. But, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not something that, that I'm, I'm too concerned with. You know, I think if, if something came up, I'm pretty sure that they'd be able to come together as a team again and find something that, you know, it, I wouldn't say makes everybody happy, but everybody's getting a little something of, of what they want. And as long as, you know, that doesn't get out of control. And I, I don't think Breeze is somebody that would, you know, start screaming at Ben Watson or Davis or anything like that over anything. So I, I don't think it's a big deal. But, you know, the stuff they're doing is cool. I, I thought it was it was great that they didn't uh, – you know, Trump asked for, for some of the people, you know, hey, give me some names that you want pardoned. I thought it was great that they didn't allow him just to, you know, pick one or two names from a list. They they said, hey, these are all the issues and do something about all these issues. So I thought it was cool the way they uh, went about that today. Yeah, very interesting stuff there, you know. And I, I think the the Saints, like you said, they've got a pretty good blend um, of, uh, you know, viewpoints. And most importantly, that it seems like there's a good amount of respect and as long as you respect the other position, uh, there shouldn't be any problems, of course. So let's talk about where those uh, you know, problems w- would be headed, which would be on the field. Uh, and it looks like, like we just established that we're going to avoid uh, any uh, on-field issues stemming from this. <laughs> uh, so let's, let's get right to it. I'm, I'm kind of interested in, in kind of how the rookies are coming along so far. Um, I, I read a piece in The Advocate about two of the uh, rookies thus far that have kind of demonstrated that they are well-prepared rookies, that they've got high football IQ. I'm talking about uh, Natrell Jamerson and uh, Cameron Moore. Do the Saints kind of actively pursue high IQ type players? Is, is that kind of why we've seen some of these draft classes pan out over the last couple of years? Yeah, actually, two years ago, they, they started doing this thing. They brought in this company that kind of does a, like a lot of testing for, for baseball teams, mental ability, uh, hand-eye coordination, memory, just processing how they learn. And that's something that, that they got into, like I said, two years ago. And it, it's this test where, you know, they, they put them up on a screen and they'll be like, you know, 17 red dots and then three white dots will appear. And they got to say, hey, here's where the three white dots were. And then four, five, six. And they do that with all the rookies coming in. They tested about 200 players this year. And then they've done it with all their own players. So they got like a baseline. So, they, they like the way, you know, Michael Thomas thinks they can pull up his test and kind of see how it matches up to some of the rookies they're bringing in. And this is just kind of the stuff Jeff Ireland's doing. And it seems like you look at these last two classes, you know, whatever they're doing seems to work. So, so that's one thing. And then, yeah, also these two guys, uh, you know, I, I think they like Natrell Jamerson a lot because he played everywhere in, in, on the defense in college. He played slot, wide receiver, outside cornerback, safety. So he's got a background playing man-to-man and zone. They got him working at cornerback right now, but it seems like he'll be able to do a little bit of everything. And then Moore's another guy that, you know, people told me they, they like him a lot. You know, he's a mid-round pick. They see him as somebody that, that could probably have a very long career. As for some of the other rookies, uh, Traquan Smith, the third-round wide receiver, he, he was kind of banged up. And then uh, Marcus Davenport, too, was a little banged up. He, he's going to have thumb surgery or already did have thumb surgery. He should be back by, by training camp, but... You know, with him, too, he, he's someone everybody said was dry, and you can kind of see that in these practices. There's some plays where it looks like he's just kind of, you know, going after it and and not really much of a plan. But then there's other plays where you see him put it together and you see the explosiveness and he approaches it with, with, with an idea of what he wants to do on that snap. And, you know, he wins. And 
I, I guess at this early uh, juncture, you, you just kind of want to see him stack together th- those moments and you know see that he's picking up on the coaching and every practice gets a little bit better. And I think so far that is kind of what we've seen out of him. But, I mean, it's going to be a process for him throughout the summer. Nick, it seems like in the last couple years, especially after the success last year, the the team has changed a little bit. A few years back, um, it, it, you I'm sure wanted to get some some talent at some of the big spots, and now you know it looks like running back, wide receiver, some of the defensive spots. Obviously, quarterback's been you know a, a spot that's been fine for a long time. But reading your article recently, it seems like now you have the top tier players at each of the positions set. But really, this month, this spring, and in the last month or two, it seems like the depth has just been really incredible that this team is coming up with. I mean, at the wide receiver position, um, defensively, even with the backup quarterback spot, this team is set up very, very well, and there's a lot of battles going on, it looks like, for some of the, uh, the final starting spots. Yeah, look, I mean, the, the craziest thing about this team is you go back two years ago, and the starter opposite Kim Jordan, the defensive end, was Bobby Richardson. He started 11 games, gets cut coming into the, the next season, Nobody picks him up. He hasn't played in the game since. I mean, now they got players. The, the guys that are, that are going to try to, you know, the, the battles aren't at the top of the roster. You got the battle of strong safety, I think, between uh, Kurt Coleman and Von Bell. But other than that, I mean, pretty much you can look around and most of those starting spots are set. And a lot of these battles are going to be further down the roster. And the Saints are actually going to have players that get cut and might get picked up by other teams, which really hasn't been a thing since probably 2012, 2013, you know, the last three years before last season when they were seven and nine, you know, they, they were forcing guys in, you know, there's three, four, five UDFAs, not just making the team, but playing actual snaps, which kind of speaks to the, the quality of the depth on the roster. So I, I think that's been a huge turnaround. And even uh, 2016, you know, if they would have stayed healthy, I think that team might have had a shot, but, you know, without depth, your cornerbacks go out and now you're looking at BW Webb to be your starter. And it, it's tough to win like that. So, you know, they're going to have hard decisions to make, and they haven't had hard decisions to make in a long time. So it, that, that just really speaks to the, the turnaround. And, you know, it, it goes, it's everything. The drafting, you know, the, the draft with Brandon Cooks, he was the only player that, that did anything for the whole, the team. The, the whole draft was out of there, you know, almost immediately. And two years before that, it, it was the same thing. The, the 2013 draft, you know, outside of the one with, with uh, Toronto Armstead, you know, the drafting for three, four years was, was really, really bad. And, it's just hard to win games when you aren't doing that, and then you're compounding it by making mistakes in free agency. Jarris Bird, Brandon Browner, C.J. Spiller, you know, it, just everything was against them. But I think since changing around the front office, bringing in Jeff Ireland, changing the scouting staff, you've really seen a, a massive turnaround. So I, I think they are set up for, you know, as long as, as Breeze is there, I, I think they're in good shape for quite a while. What's, what are your thoughts about the, um, you know, early season running game and, and Mark Ingram and looks like they brought in some depth signing Terrence West, uh, veteran running back. Uh, you know, what are, what are your thoughts about, you know, Mark Ingram and the OTAs, so on and so forth? I actually think the biggest thing in my running game is if Tron Armstead is healthy and it's been a while since, since he's been healthy. You know, he says he's on the right track. Everybody says they're on the right track this time of year, but if he's healthy at that tackle spot, I, I think that, alone would make a massive difference for the running game, regardless who was back there. If you look at last year, and look, after every play, you watched him, and he'd be limping down the field. But just when he was out there in the screen game, they averaged 1.6 more yards per screen, which 
is a lot per play. And then the running game, too, was like almost almost a yard better per play going to his side of the field. And, again, he wasn't healthy. So if he's healthy, it, I don't think it really – you know, it matters, but I think they'll be able to get get through that four-game stretch without him regardless of who the other running back is besides Camara that steps up. It, as far as that goes, you know, Camara averaged about seven carries per game last year. Ingram was at 14. I, I would guess those first four games, Alvin will probably be somewhere around – 12. I mean, I think that was only the second time ever that uh, Sean Payton running back was over 14 carries per game. So I don't see him, you know, going up to 17, 18 touches or, or carries or anything like that. But, you know, I, I think it's 12 and then whoever else might get, you know, eight or nine per game. And then Breeze probably throws a little bit more those first four games. But, you know, with or without Ingram, I think looking at those first four games, I, I would have predicted three and one. I, I think I'd still go three and one now. Yeah, they, they well, also brought in. Uh, she, oh, go ahead, Gina. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask a little bit about the uh, the wide receivers, and we Michael Thomas was good, but he, he especially it seemed like in the playoffs and when you guys really needed someone last year, he did seem like he was making that jump. And so, do you think he is an, a number one type wide receiver? And what is the what is the layout of your kind of one through four receivers behind Michael Thomas? Because we were continuing talking about the depth, and it looks like the depth at that position is as strong as as it's been in the last couple of years for you. Yeah, I, I do think he, he's the number one. I'm going to be interested, though, to see kind of how it progresses. You know, that first week one game against the Vikings, they didn't have road shadow him. And then, you know, in the playoffs they did, and he, he came to life in the second half and plays when they needed to. But I think next year is probably going to be the first year, you know, start to finish where, where he kind of gets that treatment every single week. And I just want to see how he does, and I, I think he'll succeed. And, you know, I... I definitely do think he is a number one guy. Uh, the receivers, one through four, I mean, yeah, they're going to be pretty good. Uh, if Cam Meredith is what the Saints think he can be, and he was out here running early, so, you know, didn't do a lot of team stuff in OTAs or minicamp, but just to see him running is a big thing because that was kind of, you know, the concern and why the Bears said they let him go is because they didn't think he could get healthy. It looks like he's progressing the right way, but, I mean, Thomas, Meredith, Peck in, uh, Traquan Smith, uh, you know, they, they got a lot of a lot of guys that could be very good. And, you know, then that fifth spot, it's like Brandon Coleman. Uh, and they got some, some DFAs and on, on Heraldic guys that probably should make the team, but probably, you know, there's, there's not going to be six spots. So a good player is going to end up going there. But, I mean, yeah, they, they got a ton of depth at, at that position. And, you know, if Smith and Meredith hit the way, the way they could, I mean, it, it could be a very, very – Deadly offense, and you know what do you do? You got all those receivers, and then you got Camara, and you know Ben Watson's probably as crazy as it sounds, as old as he is, he, he's an upgrade over Kobe Fleener too. So there's going to be a lot of weapons in this offense. Nick, we're up against a commercial. I'm going to have to let you go in a second here, but anything over the last few weeks give you any indication that this team should be viewed as anything but perhaps the favorite in the NFC to represent the? Uh, Conference in the Super Bowl? Ooh, that's a big statement. The NFC got a lot better this offseason, so I, I don't know. But, I mean, they should – I'd put them definitely in the top four. There's no reason to, to doubt them. But, I mean, there's a lot of good teams, the Vikings, the Rams. You know, there's just everybody in Philadelphia. Everybody seems to have gotten better. But I think they're right there in that mix. And, you know, in a single game, could be any one of those teams for sure. No doubt. Well, we always uh, love bringing you on. Uh We'll we'll go through the progression. You know, had you on during the draft time period, 
uh, now before before you know training camp starts and uh, perhaps we can get a mid training camp update for from you mid preseason schedule update from you and uh, root on the Saints along the way. Obviously, I've got some personal uh, reasons why why I, I love uh, I'm now a big Saints fan. And so, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely stay in touch with you. But why don't you give everybody uh, how they could follow you in the social media world? Yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter at Nick underscore Underhill. And then all my articles are at theadvocate.com. Outstanding. Well, appreciate Great you stuff. having Thanks, Nick. us. Thank you very, very much for making some time to join us. I know you're a busy man, and we look forward to speaking with you soon. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me. Take care, Nick. That's Nick Underhill. From the Advocate New Orleans, always delivering the good stuff about the Saints and everything NFL, really. So what do you think, Gino? Let's uh, take a quick commercial break, yeah, and quick. we'll come back and, and pick it up uh, where we left off with uh, soccer and whatever else is on your mind. So stay uh, with gonna us. We're going to have to talk a little NBA, too, the draft tonight, baby. Yep, yep. We'll, 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 talk, we'll talk about that a little bit as well. So stay with us. We'll be back in two moments. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fan's perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. Thunder chickens beware, we're coming for ya. This week on The Revolution with Jim and Trav, it's all about the Spring Gobbler Smackdown and our panel of pros are out for beards. Joining us is David Blanton of Bill Jordan's Real Tree Outdoors and Monster Bucks, outdoor writer M.D. Johnson, and Pete Muller from the National Wild Turkey Federation. It's presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Friday afternoons at 1 Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. We are in the midst of the World Cup. We just uh, talked a little bit of NFL in the middle of the baseball season. Missed talking baseball, but... We're going to talk for a few moments here about the NBA draft. The Suns go first tonight, followed by the Kings, and then the uh, Atlanta Hawks. Gino, what are some of the rumors? Who's going to go first? And what juicy trades have you heard may go down? It looks like Aiden's going to go first, which I'm, I'm a little surprised about, to be honest. Um, he, he was excellent offensively. He just crushed USC uh, when he played for Arizona. But I, I'm a little bit surprised because the way that the NBA has gone, you know, we're, we are kind of seeing 
the, the demise of the big man. We don't really see a lot of dominant big men out there. So does that mean, you know, a guy like Aiton could maybe change that tune? Or does, I wonder, when I watch the end of, you know, the, the conference finals and the NBA finals games, you don't see very many big men on the floor closing the game. You see is he the guy that is he the guy that, that are, called his is he the guy that called his shot last week or, or two weeks ago saying I will be the first player taken? Uh, yeah, he basically <laughs> just stopped working out for everyone else. Um, Phoenix has a couple of the really high picks. They have two of the top twenty picks, so they could change things quite uh, quite a bit. Um, it looks like Sacramento is starting to lean towards Bagley, which is a very Sacramento pick. He's a guy that kind of reminds me of someone who could be like a really uh, big stats on a bad team type. Um, to, to me, if I had the number one pick, I would take Doncic. I think Luka Doncic, from everything I've seen and, and watched him uh, over in Europe, he, to me, just looks incredible. He can handle the ball. He's big. He can shoot over. He it makes players better. He's just a, a straight playmaker. I think he's the number one player in the draft. If, I mean, if it were me, I would take him number one overall. But the most interesting thing, Mike, about the next, you know, week starting today and then July 1st is when the free agency really starts is are we going to see trades movement what are, what's going to happen from teams like the Lakers and even even the Cavs what do you do if you're the Cavs where you're drafting and how do you draft do you draft do you trade your pick try to make a trade to keep LeBron are you drafting maybe drafting a star as someone who can hopefully replace LeBron expecting him to leave that's going to be very interesting. Greg Popovich reportedly met with Kawhi Leonard in Los Angeles over the last couple of days trying to figure out, you know, what's going on in Kawhi's head. The Lakers acquired an extra second-round pick last night, which it's kind of interesting because normally you don't acquire a pick like that unless you know who's on the board. Like, if you have a player that you like that you want to select and they're still available, that's when you make the trade because the trade was really just a money trade in order to acquire a pick. The Lakers didn't trade anything. They're just buying another pick. So what's interesting about that is, are they buying another second-round pick to use to package, to you know use as something to get rid of Luel Dang to bring back Kawhi, or do they project a team where they're going to have LeBron, Kawhi, Paul George, some big stars, because if that's the case for the Lakers they're not going to be able to really afford and have the money to bring in other, you know, other veterans. They're going to have to sign a lot of people on veteran minimums, and they're going to need a lot of cheap contracts, which is what a second-round draft pick is, a cheap contract to kind of fill out the end of the bench. So this, this you know, next 24 hours is going to be a lot of fun. I think Kyle Kuzma from the Lakers even tweeted last night, wow, crazy next 36 hours coming up. So just a, a lot, a lot going on. Do you, if if you're running one of these teams that's in contention for LeBron, I mean, is it, is it crazy to suggest that maybe you would draft, assuming you're going to get him? That way, when you're making your pitch to him, you, you say, "Hey, look, we even drafted to tailored to your game, and to put around surround thing- you with guys that you can help develop and guys that will complement you." The other thing, or do you, or do you have to just draft that- on base best available? And, and, and hope for the best. I, I myself always draft the best available, um, even more so than fit. I'm really usually looking for the best available, especially in this age of basketball, because it's so interchangeable, right? Like, it's, it's, basketball is becoming 
almost positionless now. We're going to, you know, we're getting to the point where everyone on the court is between 6'2 and about 6'8, right? And that's about your range now. They can switch all five positions. You have guys that are like 6'7, 6'8 that can guard centers and that can come out and guard, you know, point guards. And we just don't see too many seven-footers out there uh, because they, they defensively, when you switch out on them, they're not able to guard the perimeter. For me, I would always guard uh, draft towards the need. The one thing that reminds me of when you mentioned that is LeBron, when he was in was it Miami, and he said he wanted them to draft uh, Shabazz Napier because he loved him and he loved the run that he made in UConn, and then he left. And then he, ba- and he bounced, yep. And then he bounced, you know? So that's the <laughs> only thing that's difficult is um, it, with LeBron, that's the one thing is, as a Laker fan, I tread, I tread lightly in that. I've mentioned a few. If LeBron comes, I'm not. I'm going to root for LeBron. I'm. I'm going to be rooting for him. I'm going to be glad that he's here, and I'm going to hope for the best. But you know, if you're if you're just picking what you want as a fan, I'm not going to root against LeBron. But if I had it my way, I don't know if, if necessarily I want LeBron to come in because LeBron isn't Paul George. LeBron isn't Kawhi. He brings with him a an entire entourage, a, a company, a, ba- a baggage, that's good and bad, right? That, so I, I don't know, you, you're not necessarily the Lakers anymore, you're LeBron and friends. And that's kind of how it's been since LeBron is there. Now, you know when you have LeBron, you're automatically going to be a very good team and you're going to compete. I'm just starting to worry now as a, as a Laker fan, and I keep hearing all this LeBron stuff, do you want LeBron right now at this point? We've never seen him get hurt. We've never seen him... Um, you know, have a massive injury. Well, a lot of us felt the same way with Kobe. Kobe didn't really have a ton of injuries. You know, Kobe, we kept talking about that father time. Kobe might be able to deal with it. And then you get that one big injury and things are never the same. That's the worry that I have with LeBron and with Kawhi about trading all of the young guys and about getting rid of Lonzo and Ingram and Kuzma and Hart with Kawhi with the injury and LeBron with all of the miles that are starting to add up. Another year where he went to the NBA Finals, where he was playing so many minutes, where he was carrying the heavy load. It's got to wear and tear on him at some point, right, Mike? I mean, it's got to yeah, catch up with him at does. some point. It, you know, I wish we could talk about this a little bit longer because we got to close in about 40 seconds here. But you make a really, really good point. I mean, over the years we've seen it where an injury – whether it be to a Derrick Rose, or even remember how good Grant Hill was until he started oh, getting man. hurt, never was the same. I mean, you see it, you know, every generation, there's three or four guys that you're like, man, what if? How dominant would this person have been if not for that injury? So I'm with you there. And that's not to say that LeBron is necessarily due for one, but I'll tell you what, he's been super, super durable. And at some point, your body gives in. I don't care how big or strong you are. There's nobody that's immune to it. Barkley says, Barkley always talks about it, father time, man. And this was a good show because this is a great great time. I mean, how we hit horse racing a little bit. We're talking about the sports gambling. We're talking about the World Cup. We're talking about, you know, you hit some basketball. And we talked NFL. So a really fun show. Another one. Great job by Patrick. And awesome to hear from Nick. A couple great guests that we had. Absolutely. And you know what? The good news is we're going to do it again next Thursday. Same time, same place. We thank everybody from joining, for joining us. Enjoy the World Cup and your sports weekend, and we will see you next week. Have a good one, everyone. 
Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great week.